Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Hello and welcome into this edition of the Golf Channel Podcast with Rex and Lab. We're reporting this pod on Sunday, same day my beloved Georgia Bulldogs, fresh off their first loss in some 750 days, were unceremoniously kept out of the college football playoff. Rex, as proof of how badly this system needs to be reworked, and obviously it will in 2024 when they expand to 12-team playoff, Georgia is installed as a 14-point favorite over the exact same Florida State team that the committee somehow ranked one spot ahead of them in the rankings, the whole thing's laughable. Uh, Saturday's SEC championship game between Georgia and Alabama did not go as I had hoped. I had I had fears that they were uh, potentially going to lose that game, and things just did not fall in place. Florida State did not lose. Texas did not lose. And so we are left with the two-time defending champions trying to go for a historic three-peat. Uh, I guess I can go ahead and cancel the hotel room uh, in Houston. What were your thoughts when the rankings dropped? I know we have much golf to get to, but honestly, I can't, I can't move forward until we discuss this. No, no. I want to drink all of your tears. I think everyone in the audience wants to drink all of your tears because you have become the epitome, the epitome of the Georgia fan, which means your beautiful daughter has been alive in her lifetime. She has never been alive when the Georgia Bulldogs have lost until now. So I'm just curious. And she saw it. And she, I mean, she has, she has meltdowns. She is very much in, in like the terrible twos. I, I'm not <laughs> sure she's even had a meltdown as bad as mine was on Saturday evening, just screaming at the TV as they failed to, to stop uh, Jill Milrow uh, late in the fourth quarter. Uh, you got beat. That's it. And it was funny. I, I sent you some pictures. I sent you a really funny video today. We have a friend that works at the PGA Tour. He's a media official. Jack Ryan, who might be a bigger Georgia homer than you, if, if people can believe that. I know it's, it's very, very difficult to believe. And uh, we all went to the sports book, all of us, everyone at the tournament, anyone associated with the Hero World Challenge went to the sports book at, at the Baja Mar for no other reason, not, not to watch the game, to watch Jack watch the game. And it did not disappoint. There was nothing but angst. There was nothing but but just so much pain. I mean, his body was contorting. His face made some weird sort of twisted lines to it. And I, I actually sent you a picture at the moment that it was over. 
and you you can you can see the pain and the anguish and everything on his face. I will say that there is an entire country of fandom that will just roll their eyes. So like you can't send a big enough rolling eye emoji to all of the Georgia fans because you guys have won back to back. You still had a really good season. You still have a really good team. There's no reason to think that you won't have a really good team next year. You're right. I'm sure you're going to win the bowl game. I think, and you're not going to like this, I, though, would go the other way because I think the system failed Florida State. And here's the debate, and, and this has been enjoyable. They suck. I had, they I had suck. Mark, I had Mark Slayball on the car for four days, and then I had Jack Ryan, and then I had you. So I'm, I'm surrounded by this nonsense. The fact of the matter is they did everything. They went undefeated in a Power 5 conference. They won their conference. And yet all you see is that they have a bad offense without Travis Jordan. And they do, man. That was an awful game last night. But what they have is a world-class championship-winning defense. And to get passed over in, in that fashion is just stunning to me. I know you're going to go to the idea that on one day, your beloved Georgia Bulldogs were, were first, and on the next day they were sixth. And that's hard for you to wrap your it's mind never up. happened. That's never happened. But if, but if it, well, you know what else has never happened? An undefeated a power, power five, five champion undefeated has never been booted out yeah. of the playoffs. So yeah. the system's broken, which is which is hilarious to me because as we in golf, and we'll transition to golf now for you folks, fine folks, as we in golf sort of clutch our pearls and wonder what's next, and the sky is falling, and who's leaving, and who's coming, and what's what the what are the agreements going to look like? The rest of the world is worried about Florida State and Georgia. Yeah. Like no, one yeah cares. no, the sky is actually falling for me. Why aren't people talking <laughs> about how I'm feeling right now? This is all about me. I actually, I, I, I sympathize with, with Jack Rex. Like it, it had been so long since I had to like dissect and, 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 and mourn a loss. And so you're looking at missed field goals and, and blown calls by the refs. And if Brock Bowers, lad McConkey weren't dinged up, like, I, I don't. I don't like that feeling. I don't. I don't like that feeling of of dissecting losses, and and trying to find little small moral victories. Uh, we'll move forward. Actually, no, no, no. Before we do that, actually, there is a video that I sent you that you should put on our TikTok, and I would I would strongly suggest people go look at this. And I was standing with Jack Ryan in the media center today at noon at twelve thirty when they announced it. And I give that 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 show credit on ESPN that they don't wait around the entire show to unveil who the top four are. Like, they just get to it. And I think it's really cool. So what, what's going on there? All right? No, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just adding I'm adding it to our Tiki Talk as we speak, so I don't forget. Our, our TikTok, by the way, if you don't follow us, is at GC Rex and Lab. We're up to 10 followers, which is just absolutely pathetic. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I did cool. upload some more videos. I figured out how to do it. Uh, and, and we've got some, some decent content rolling in. So please give us a follow. We'll keep, we'll keep blowing up the page. So if you watch the ESPN show today that unveiled the top four in the playoff team, they went one, Michigan. They went two, Washington. They went three, which was Alabama. And then when they got to number four, we're watching. And there's, there's a beautiful video of me standing next to Jack and him actually saying to me, I, I think Georgia might, might get in. Like, I, I'm feeling confident. And he'd been waffling all day long. And for some reason – ESPN, instead of going one, two, three, four, went one, two, three, six, and flashed Georgia up on the screen. And for the, a split second, he was so happy. Like it, everything just came to life. And then he realized what had happened and he was just crushed. Like he just oh. crawled up into a ball. It was terrible. The, the soul just completely drained out of him. Right. Uh, just, just, a just a really tough weekend for our boy Jack Ryan. Uh, make sure you pour one out for him. Uh, and, and, and make sure you check us out on TikTok. 
at GC Rex and Lab. Rex, unfortunately, that does not look like a colleague, but you have another uh, beverage in hand to celebrate the end of the Hero World Challenge week, a very eventful week. There's actually plenty to get to uh, in this year's podcast on, on December 3rd. Let's start with, with the headliner of the week, though. Tiger Woods, this is the first time we'd seen him in a tournament competition since uh, the Masters in April, underwent the fusion surgery uh, on his problematic right ankle. Uh, we talked about after his press conference on Tuesday, uh, he said he was very optimistic and was basically as, as curious as all of us as to how he was going to play. Results-wise, he didn't quite finish 8th to 12th like I thought he was going to. He finished 18th out of 20 players after a rough opening round. Uh, three state, three straight rounds of par or better, uh, but he was still 20 shots behind eventual champion Scotty Scheffler. Rex, you were in the media tent. You interviewed Tiger Woods. He sounded very encouraged. He sounded very optimistic. He sounded very pleased overall. What was your assessment after seeing him up close and personal for the past four days? Yeah, I did a column on golfchannel.com that kind of broke down the idea that, look, these are the five things I felt like we learned about Tiger this week. And one of them is just making it 72 holes. I mean, let's let's be honest. That was the litmus test. He hasn't played in a 72-hole tournament from start to finish until February, since February and in Los Angeles. And so that was going to be the first test. And he made it. And I will say he didn't look great today. Like, And he's going to have good days and he's going to have bad days. I think that's sort of just the nature of where we are with him. And it went from sort of a different gait to how he walks to just an outright limp. Like as I watched him warm up this morning at Albany, it was just an outright limp. And you can tell he was laboring. You can tell that it was going to be a bad day. That being said, I think you can pick apart some good parts of his game. First and foremost, I thought it was fascinating. He finished fourth in the field in strokes gained tee to green, which, okay, it's only a 20-man field, but that's still. No, no, off the the tee. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Strokes gained off the tee, which it's only 20-man field, but that's still the upper third of the field, the upper fourth of the field. I think that's impressive considering the long layoff and everything that we know about him physically. There were some issues that he's going to have to deal with. Uh, One of them was his chipping. Probably not the best place. For him to show up cold, this is probably one of the hardest places on the PGA Tour to get up and down because it's grainy, it's it's sandy, it's just really, really difficult. Probably the other part, and he, he talked a little bit about this, just about not allowing himself to stall. And we saw that in every single round this week where it, on Saturday he started bogey-bogey and he spent the entire round trying to fight back. On Thursday, after a pretty decent start, he sort of spiraled on the, on, on the second nine and that, that's why he shot that over par round. He needed to get off to faster starts and be able to sort of focus in a little bit better. By and large, I think you're right. I asked him point blank. Is it fair to, is it fair to say that you're a little bit more optimistic than maybe you would have been otherwise? And you're right. I mean, he, he feels like making it that 72 holes and seeing the things in his swing he likes was progress. I mean, he's always going to have a limp, a little hitch in his gait, whatever you want to call it. That's just, that's just the nature of being soon to be 48 years old. Uh, with with more than two dozen surgeries uh, on his CV, but I, I I thought Rex it was it was still a different walk than even it was eight months ago. Like it wasn't he didn't uh, he wasn't grimacing. It didn't appear to be a, a painful step even on the kind of the sandy soil that you have in Albany. Like he was leaving his caddy Rob McNamara in the dust when he was going to hit shots. It wasn't like he was like laboring behind. Like that's I thought dumb. he was. I that's, thought he that's was a moving. Dumb statement. Don't, don't I thought don't. I thought he was moving much much better. He did not have the same pained expression 
as we've seen him over the past couple of weeks. The fact that he was even able to recover day after day uh, and he didn't have, he didn't, at least the first two rounds, you know, he kind of tailed off, right? Like midway through the back nine on Thursday and Friday, he hits the wall. He makes some poor decisions. He has this weird thing, Rex, where he refuses to admit that he gets tired. Like Tiger Woods, the freak athlete who we've seen for the past quarter century, just fails to admit, yeah, man, I got tired. I, I wore down. Fatigue kicked in. Like that's why you're making mental mistakes. That's why you're you're short-sighting yourself. That's why you're putting it into a bunker. You know, that's why you're making a litany of issues that that prevented him from shooting any round this week in the 60s, and yet he just refuses to admit it. It's just a very weird thing that Tiger Woods does. But when you look at it, like the actual aspects of his game, like he drove it on a rope. Albany is not the most uh, penal golf course, certainly very forgiving fairways. Uh, the, the wind was was up as it typically is, obviously, in the Bahamas, uh, but it wasn't overly punishing. You know, he averaged 309 yards off the tee. Uh, that was basically middle of the pack uh, of a 20-man field where you have, uh, you, you know, arguably some of the longest drivers uh, in the game, in this field, he, he struggled with his iron play. Like he hit 58% of his greens. He struggled around the greens, as you mentioned, although on a very difficult golf course uh, with a graininess. Remember the chipping yips uh, that he had a couple years ago as well. He lost strokes to the field three of the four rounds with his, with his putting. But to me, that's all rust, Rex. Like shoddy iron play, uh, shoddy play around the greens, uh, inconsistent putting. That's, that's all competitive rust. The things that you wanted to see were speed, were power, and how he walked. And in those aspects, I thought he passed that that with flying colors. I think there's there's plenty of reasons to be optimistic. One one thing they did mention though on Tuesday that I want to get your thoughts on was that it, it was kind of the, the headline news. Tiger says that he wants to play one tournament a month. We don't mean twelve tournaments. We don't mean January through December. We mean from February through July. He thinks it's realistic to play one tournament a month on Sunday. He said, quote, I think I can get into the rhythm of it, having a couple of weeks off to recover, a week to build up. There's no reason why I can't get into it. It's just a matter of getting in better shape. I feel like my game's not that far off. I just need to get in better shape. We talked about it on Tuesday, but on Sunday, do you think that's still a realistic goal for Tiger Woods? I don't think my opinion changed since we talked about this early in the week, since Todd Lewis and I went round and round on Golf Central about this. Is it is it doable? Sure, everything, anything's possible in the world. And certainly, again, making it 72 holes on a flat golf course in warm conditions, great. Very good start, something to build on. Augusta's not going to be that. Let's, let's be honest. Riviera, where he's going to start next year at the Genesis Invitational, is not going to be that. It's going to be cold. It's a hilly walk. It's going to be demanding. His recent body of work suggests, no, he cannot. So I, I'm going to continue to lean like I did earlier in the week. I find that overly optimistic. Is it possible? Sure, absolutely. I just find it overly optimistic. I, I think I think four. Like I, I, feel, I feel better about him getting through the major championships in 2024 than I did about him getting through the major championships in 2022 or 2023. The issue is, is going to be, you know, his, his recovery period. You know, if he plays Riviera, does is he able to get back in the gym? And more importantly, not just not just training and not just doing his beach walks or whatever else he does to try and strengthen uh, his 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 rebuilt ankle as much as he possibly can. Like he needs to spend time on the golf course. 
Like I, I was thinking when I'm when I was watching this tournament, do I feel more or less likely that Tiger Woods can get that final win to get 83 and kind of bust out of the the, the tie with Sam Snead? He he feels like a long way away, Rex. He, you know, it's one thing to get in the weight room, and obviously he looks gigantic. Uh, but but like Scotty Scheffler spending six seven hours on the golf course, like he's fine tuning his game there. His his body is of is of no concern. Scotty spends time in the weight room to increase his flexibility, to maybe build up a little speed, to prevent injury. Tiger spending hours in the weight room, basically just so he can play tournament golf. It just it just feels like he has a long way to go as it relates to his game and to actually contend against the best players in the world. Do you, do you agree or disagree? He's not going to be able to spend seven hours probably doing anything, let alone playing golf or putting or, tra- or practicing. I mean, that, that's just the fact of the matter. I think that's been the fact for probably the better part of this decade. Does that mean that he can't somehow find a form that would make him competitive at that level again? Yes. I mean, I talked to Ricky Fowler about this after the round on Friday, and he's like, everything is there. Like the pop and the speed and, and the ball striking is there. I find it. I found it fascinating when we asked Tiger about the, the impending news this week from the USGA and the RNA about the, the golf ball rollback. And it was interesting to hear not just Tigers talk about it, but people sort of interpret, like Ricky Fowler, what Tiger meant. Of course he's for a rollback. Because for Tiger Woods, that's the best-case scenario because he hits it flush almost every single time compared to, to the other players. That doesn't happen. So a rollback golf call is not going to impact him nearly as much as it is someone else. This always goes back to the same thing. His ability to get from the first tee to the 18th green. And that's what you want to call into question. It's not a matter of you pointed out correctly that, yeah, there was a lot of rust, particularly short game rust. He putted into a bunker. That's something that you and I don't even do on a regular basis. So that's pretty shocking when you see that. But I think that's something he can practice his way out of. He doesn't need seven hours a day to do that. If he's hitting the ball, if he's flushing it, like he he did this week. I mean, you can make the argument, you're right, his iron play wasn't particularly sharp, but man, he drove it really well. If he can continue to do that and make progress, as long as he's upright, I, I think he does have a chance in these tournaments. But the only way to knock off competitive Russ is to play in competition and, and playing four to six times. Like Not going to happen. It sounds, it sounds great in theory, right? Like you, you just show up for the big events and you're ready to go and you've got your game in tip-top form and you should be able to contend with the best players in the world. Like, there's a reason why these guys play 18 to 21 times. Now, some of it's some of it's sponsor related, and you have to you have to do it to fulfill some some com- contract obligations. But there's a reason why most guys typically play five to seven times leading into Augusta National, because they need to knock off the rust. They need to to see how it feels when you get into contention. You kind of see need to see where your weak spots are work on certain shots, and then you head into the year's first major championship, hoping that your game is in as good a place as possible. Tiger is at most going to be having eight competitive rounds in 2024 before he gets to Augusta National. Does that mean I don't think he can be competitive at, at the Masters? No, I think he can. But to me, that means you know he's in the mix through 36 holes, and then he probably fades, right? When the best players in the best form – pull away from him on the weekend. I, I I just don't know if he's going to play enough golf to give himself a realistic chance to get 83. Like it sounds great uh, in theory that you just show up for the big ones, 
But there's a reason why guys play 20 times. Well, and I, I think everyone who wants to cling to a modicum of hope will point to the fact that, you know, he won the Masters and he won East Lake. On, but he uh, played some, he played six times before the Masters in 2019. There, yeah, I mean, there was something to build on. I mean, the idea that he can catch lightning in a bottle. I, I guess I'll go back to the idea that Augusta is kind of a unique situation. If he gets the right conditions, I, I just pointed out, if it's cold at Augusta, we're going to see the same guy limping around that golf just, course. Just, dra- that we just, saw dragging, just dragging his right foot up eight. Yeah. Like, like he should really look at the long-term forecast and decide like 14 days out, he can, he can make the decision. <laughs> Do I really want to play 36 in the morning? No, thank you. Tell him, Rob, tell him I'm not coming. It's not going to happen. Cause I just can't see how his body holds up. It's simply physically not able to do that. If he gets a perfect week where everything falls in and the institutional knowledge is so important at that particular golf course, we see Freddie Couples and Bernard Langer do things every year. And you're kind of like, man, they're 105 years old. How do they keep doing this? And it's because they know how to play that golf course. I I would say that's the one place where I can see some sort of glimmer of hope that, oh yeah, if he catches lightning in a bottle and everything is perfect. Yeah. I could see him getting himself into the mix. I'm not going to get crazy and say he's going to win again. You can look at the Players' Championship. And if it's one of those warm years and the golf course is playing firm and fast and he doesn't really have to worry about hitting a lot of drivers, again, I can see a scenario where that works out. The U.S. Open and the PGA Championship, especially the PGA Now in May, like, man, I, I'm with you. I, I don't see how that ever happens. I, I mean, I could, I could see it in the Open where he's relying on his, you know, insane golf course IQ – and his guts and his guile and his lag putting. Like, I, I could see potentially a deep run at the Open Championship, especially if the weather that conditions get bad. No, I'm, so, I'm talking. Like, uh, yeah. But I'm, I'm uh, saying. Pinehurst like, is probably a good option. Now, now that I think it through, Pinehurst is probably not going to be a terrible venue for him next year. Yeah, he didn't. I don't think he played in 2014. If he did, he did not make the cut. Uh, but he, he contended back there in 99 uh, in 05 as well before the golf course uh, was redone. I, I just think any sort of links golf still is kind of tailor-made for his skill set what did you what did you make rex of him physically there was a lot of talk about how big he looked i mean you saw him in person like his his torso his neck he was sweating like crazy like physically he looked like an absolute beast we saw the walk-up video that the pj tour posted uh, on their twitter account that's crazy on sunday um what did you make of that because i thought I thought we were supposed to get this this version of Tiger where you know he doesn't try and keep up with the guys physically. He, you know, he he lays back and he he relies on his shot making ability. It seems like he's almost doubling down and getting as big as possible because that's how he's gonna just generate the most brute force. Uh no, I would actually go the other way. And he is much, much uh, that's not the right word. He is bigger uh across the chest, across the back. Like you can tell us that he spent a lot of time working on his upper body. It's probably the only thing he can really work on in the gym because let's face it, I can't imagine there's a whole lot he can do with his legs. I mean, I'm not even trying to be funny. He doesn't doesn't even mind. He doesn't even mind skipping leg day now. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think skipping leg day is is a doctor order. It's it's just permanent. (laughs) Yeah. Like you just have to do it. There is no more leg day for Tiger Woods. I I will say this, and I I think we mentioned this, uh, and Will Zalatoris kind of touched on this after his microdisectomy, that 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 surgery forced him to become more rotational. And in a weird way, that made him a little bit more consistent. I, I think the same thing applies to Tiger Woods, where it's clear he can't push off his right foot anymore. I think Brandon Chambly did a really, really good breakdown of that on Thursday night's uh, Golf Central. And so he has to generate that power from somewhere else. And it's, it's a lot more rotational, swings a little bit 
flatter. He talked about he's going through a swing change, which I thought was fascinating. But this isn't like any other swing change he's done before. When you ask him what he's doing, he's just what my body's allowing me to do. And so I don't think this is any different than any other golfer. If you have some sort of limitation, you're going to find a way to create the speed some other way. And in this particular case, I think he he's using that upper body strength, the core strength, to create the same speed that he probably used to do by posting up on his left leg and pushing off on his right leg. Like that's a big component when you look at the five structures of how you produce power in the golf swing. So he can't do that anymore. He had to find a different way. So yeah, it's the, it's the upper body. And I'm also going to say like, these are, all right, I'm going to do two myths here right now. Everyone talked about how much he was sweating, like during the press conference and during the week. First and foremost, it was really, really hot. It is really, really hot down here in the Bahamas. So everyone was sweating. We're just paying attention to Tiger Woods. Number two, he has always been a sweater. I, I don't know how to, another way of saying it. In any conditions, you've seen it in your career. Most of us have. Like the dude, it's just kind of gross how much he sweats. And so I don't, like I didn't read anything to that. The other thing is something you said a minute or two ago about him leaving his caddy in the dust. His caddy was Rob McNamara, who's <laughs> essentially his business partner. And Rob McNamara is about as qualified to be a, a caddy as I am. And so if Tiger wasn't leading him in the dust, something was going to be wrong. So I didn't read anything into either one of those things. You, you didn't think Rob McNamara could, could find the golf ball if, if it wasn't Tiger was leading him there? Uh, no, he could have found the golf ball. Rob's a pretty good player, uh, and we've talked a lot about it. But no, he's former, not former college golfer. That. Yeah, but he's not qualified to carry that bag any more than I am. And I skip a lot of leg days. I think it was more <laughs> so as, as, as do I, uh, as, as a second member of a chicken leg committee, uh, Rob McNamara probably also not used to dragging 40 pounds on his back on a very sandy golf course in and 85 degree heat as well. Uh, Tiger Woods, by the way, beat Wills Altours uh, by 11 shots uh, over 72 holes in Albany. Uh, Rex, before we move on, you mentioned the heat in Albany. Uh, the people want to know, we poked a little bit of fun at your sunspot. At your bandage, do you have an update for the folks who may be concerned about your health? Uh, it, it was very nice. Everyone who was concerned, uh, and John in Miami, thank you for the email. That was very nice. Uh, it was uh, not; it was benign, and so it, and it's looking a lot better. The reason I have the bandaid on there right now is because it, they don't want any sun on it, so it, it doesn't look bad. Like it's just kind of, kind of a pink spot. But yes, it's it's benign. So everyone leave laugh alone for being indifferent and cruel and all of the things that you people call them. So Yeah. I mean I wasn't being insensitive. I, I am curious you, though. You were being insensitive. How how are you changing your son's safety habits given this given this intense scare? I mean you had the, the entire golf community sending T's and P's your way. Uh, here's the problem. And I had to mention this to a tour security guard because he was asking if I was going to walk with Tiger Woods on Saturday morning. And I was like, no, I, I can't. And like, it's too hot. And the sun was just like, just beating down on you, which I know people in the North don't want to hear about that right now. And I don't need to be out in the sun for obvious reasons, having just had this done on my face. And he goes, well, why don't you wear a hat? I, it, there's no easy way of saying this. If you're on TV, you really can't wear a hat. Like, it doesn't really work that way. And I don't have good hair. It's not like I'm protecting my hair. My hair is awful. But I can't wear a hat because then when the time comes later that afternoon for me to go on TV, that I know how shallow this sounds. Like, I know you, you're setting me up here. But you can't – it just – you look like you got hat head. And that, that's a you know, worse look than this, which is what I normally have. No, I've had, I've had the exact same issue. 
you, you can't you can't wear a hat if you have a TV hit four to five, four or five six and if you look, hours later. You can see, like I put up, I just you know gooped the sunscreen on there all week long, but you can only go so high. So I could, I actually had a tan line here, like in the power alleys where you can't see it, but it in the power alleys where I just couldn't goop it in there. So I'm like, it, it doesn't do any good. And, and the dermatologist was really worried about the top of my head because, as you know, my hair is getting thin. So it, it's an issue. I'm going to have to deal with it somehow. I remember Tom Rinaldi uh, back when I was a young Cub reporter for golf week, but he was following when he'd be following Tiger Woods inside the ropes and he had a TV hit to do an hour or two. I always wondered why he had like a small hand towel that you would find in one of our precious Marriott properties. It was because he was protecting himself. He would, he'd, he would pat his hair or he would, he would kind of blot his skin to make sure that things were absolutely perfect an hour or two later. Now that I actually have to do TV myself, uh, you, you just, you can't, you can't undo, you cannot undo a hat hair and then go on television a couple hours yeah, later. It's bad luck. You really can't do it. And I didn't uh, I even, here's the deal. So I did, I did golf central tonight. I, I did the winner's interview with Scotty Scheffler, which was enjoyable. And then I had to do a hit on, I, I, we're probably going to talk about what happened to Colin Morgala. And so, but I did, I couldn't shave today because the beautiful Marriott property I'm staying in this week. And I'm not exaggerating. doesn't have any hot water. Mm. Mm. Heart just aches for you. Uh, it does mm. sound like a tough week, a uh, full of news. Peace. As well, uh, I want to touch real quickly on Scotty Scheffler. We're not going to blow this too much out because it was a 20-man exhibition at the end of the year. But Scotty Scheffler does win for the first time, at least uh, officially, since the Players' Championship in March. It's been this very odd PJ Tour Player of the Year race or Male Player of the Year race, however you want to look at it, between the two headliners of John Rahm and Scotty Scheffler, and yet neither player had won since the Masters in April. It had been even longer, a month longer for Scotty Scheffler, but he does come back off the break, had not played since the Ryder Cup. We all remember the tearful uh, scene at the Ryder Cup when Scotty Scheffler did not play his best, when 0-2-2 became the first world number one who failed to win a match at the Ryder Cup. And he showed up in the Bahamas, technically, statistically, even better. He averaged 2.7 strokes gained, T to green, that's even better than he was throughout the course of the season when he averaged 2.6 rex, which is the best statistic we've seen since Tiger Woods' prime in the mid-2000s. More pointedly, like we all know that Scotty Scheffler is an unbelievable ball striker, but he was sixth out of 20 players in putting. He took 26 or fewer putts the first three rounds. Uh, It was not a great final round. Uh, He had just 16 feet worth made of putts. And yet he still shot 68 and was comfortably head throughout the entire day. This was his first individual tournament since working with putting guru Phil Kenyon. To, to me, he's got to be encouraged by the early returns uh, with the putting maestro. No, he absolutely was. And so when I'm trying to come up with a question tonight for Central, the first one that came to mind, like not all victories are created equal. And and I know in the moment you you want to celebrate each one of them. However, and this is a silly season event, as you pointed out, with a 20-player field. The first thing I wanted to ask him is, like, given what you've gone through, the entirety of this season, like, take all of it as a whole, like, where does this rank? And and I'll give him credit. Like, he kind of picked up on it immediately. And he leaned into the idea that, yeah, it, it's very important. Like, it would be easy for him to be like, no, nah, I'm just in the islands, and I was enjoying myself, and look at me. I fell in the winter circle. That wasn't it at all. Now, there wasn't tears, but you could tell, I don't want to call it relief. 
but there was certainly something that came off his shoulders because it was going to stay with him for a long time. You're right. You go back to that Ryder Cup, as bad as it was for all of the players, outside of Bones Mackay, who ended up on the wrong side and at the wrong moment with Roy McIlroy, I don't think anybody had a worse week than Scotty Scheffler. And so to be able to come here and do this, more importantly, he's already sort of looking ahead. The follow-up question was, how do you sort of take what you did here this week and you can t- keep it rolling until you get to Maui? And, and there was a, an idea there that he said he's done it the last two years. He's been his runner-up here at this event, and he's normally started the last two years. The season very, very strong. You brought up a really interesting point, though, to get a little bit off topic. I even asked Scotty about this early in the week. Like, as you pointed out, the PGA Tour – Player of the Year vote is, is coming up. There's actually – they're going to announce the field for it here in a day or two. And, and there are five names on that by, ballot, by the way, which I found fascinating. But more to the point, he said it should go to John Rahm. Like, you just look at the numbers. You know, it should Who go to are John Rahm. Who are five? Uh, I mean, one one has to be Rory, presumably. Uh, I don't know. No, well, one is Wyndham Clark, I feel like. I, I don't – I couldn't really figure out. I guess Rory mm. would be the I mean, he won, so, a, he won a signature Hobbit. event – yeah, Victor I mean Victor, Victor's the obvious third one. Yeah, I mean you're going you're going deep if you put Wyndham Clark on there. Uh, I, I felt so too, uh, but they, they, it, it's clear they're not going to win. This feels like an FSU thing. Like, yeah, you're not going to win, but we we should have put you in the playoffs anyway. I, I the part that I'm fascinated by is so now he's tacked this on, and whatever this means to players nothing. who are going to vote for players, nothing. Probably nothing. However, if you combine that with all of the rampant room, unsubstantiated rumors on the internet about John Rahm, I, I think we could end up with a surprising vote. And I don't know that for a fact. I'm just sort of looking at the way these votes have gone in the past. And I went back to the year that Rory and Ricky Fowler were both rookies. And objectively, Rory had a better year. I mean, I think you could, I've broken this down a couple times. And Ricky got the vote. And it was kind of a popularity contest, and it was kind of based more on what, how they do the PIP than it does how they do the Rookie of the Year vote. I can see in a scenario where players who are voting right around now, they're tired of reading the headlines. They're tired of seeing on the Internet that this guy or that guy's leaving the PGA Tour. And, oh, look, Scotty had a good finish to the season. He's my guy. I mean, Scotty had an unbelievable season. If yeah. you don't count the Hero World Challenge, like he won twice – including the Players' Championship, the PG Tour's flagship event, the strongest field on a very tricky golf course. He won the Phoenix Open back when it was a designated event, soon to be called a signature event. Like Those are, those are macho victories. He had 17 top 10s in 23 starts, earned a boatload of money. He was in contention at both the PJ Championship and the U.S. Open. I mean, that's, that is a great year. Was it better than John Rahm's year? No. Probably not. But but PJ Tour players also appreciate and respect consistency, consistent. and Scotty Scheffler uh, was the most consistent player in 2023. Rex, there's two items uh, of of varying beefiness that we do need to get to the news of the week. on On Friday, the news popped up from a very reputable reputable source in Golf Digest, uh, Mike Satura, uh, longtime uh, equipment writer for Golf Digest. Uh, reporting the news that beginning in 2028, the golf ball will be rolled back for the elite professional. In 2030, it will be rolled back for everyone. This was in response to the model local rule that was proposed earlier this year. So much pushback from PGA Tour professionals, from PGA of America professionals. And so this is what Martin Slumbers of the RNA and Mike Wan 
of the USGA, the governing bodies, have come up with. Essentially, a rollback golf ball for everyone coming in the next five to seven years. Now, you were covering a golf tournament with with 20 high-level professionals who this will be impacted. What was the reaction on the ground after the report came out on Friday night? It was mixed to a certain degree. Tiger Woods has been pretty clear about this, and he wants the ball to get rolled back. I think I touched on this earlier talking about it. It benefits him, but that's not why I think he wants it to get rolled back. I think he truly believes it's best for the game. It's best for the traditions of the game. And so he was very much in the minority. I mean, Keegan Bradley was very outspoken. Monstrous. Keegan Bradley called it monstrous. Which I, I seem like it's it's a bit extreme given where we are not just in golf it's certainly the world right now but he you know that's certainly an, an, an opinion uh, I thought Ricky Fowler was probably the best one uh, talking to it I mean he understands the traditions as much as anyone but his argument was why why didn't we just stick with what was essentially going to be bifurcation and I know the tour and the PGA of America pushed back on it but the idea that we're going to take this moment in time when golf is as popular as it has ever been and might ever be. And we're going to suddenly throw this rule on everyone that could dial how far I hit my drives, 5% or whatever the number is going to be. And it seems like a really, really bad idea. I think you and I have talked about this, that I don't know if there's a problem or not. However, I know this is a really, really bad time to implement a rule like this. And as you pointed out, this is going out to 2028, but we're going to be talking about this now until 2028. And it's going to apply to the amateurs, us, the recreational players, in 2030. I will give Rory credit, and he had been dark on Twitter, and this was a weird time for him to resurface. But he he actually made a compelling argument, which is it's probably going to impact PGA Tour players relatively equally. And and we can debate that, and I think the numbers are going to start coming out that we, we can have a conversation about it. For you and I, I think the impact's going to be negligible, to be honest with you. Because we don't swing the club hard enough. It's not going to be 5%. It's certainly not going to be 5% for anything less than a driver. Now, that's the conversation that I had with a bunch of players who pointed out that the way the new rule is going to be applied, it's you can't hit it past 317 yards with a club head speed of 125 miles an hour. So that's about a 5% drop from where they were before. That doesn't apply equally to an 8-iron or a pitching wedge or a 7-iron. It's, it's exponent, you know, it, it depends on the club head speed. And so you could be three and a half percent. It could be four percent. It could be two percent. I think it's that's the things we need to sort out, and that's what the tour players are worried about. Did you see the screen grab of the guy who bought thirty five hundred dollars worth of Pro V ones, essentially stockpiling for a very long, dark winter? I mean, you no. don't have you don't have to put the rollback ball in play if you and I go out to Marsh Landing and we play what is a very disappointing and ugly round of golf look at you look at you stockpiling exactly taylor maids or pro v1s that's right whatever the case may be i mean the way that i'm driving the golf ball right now uh, i'm not sure that 3500 dollars with the pro v1s could do the trick uh but i i found that funny that people are stockpiling them uh, in advance of a potentially getting shut down 2030 in 2030 i'm going to be me and todd lewis we're talking about this because we're the same age i'm be 63 years old and at 63 years old, I'm not going to be worrying about losing 5% off my drive. Trust me, that's not going to be a concern of mine. So, so the thing, this is, this is how I fall on the, on the subject. If, if PJ Tour pros didn't like the idea of a rollback for everybody, then they could have put an end to it. 
there were two options. You could either roll it back for everyone, which is now what they've settled on, or you could have the model local rule in which the rollback only applies to the elite professional. Now, it could have gotten a little bit messy in the sense of, of where's the line of demarcation. Does Is that at the NCAA championship? Is that at the U.S. Open qualifiers? Is that on the Corn Ferry Tour? Whatever the case may be, I get it. It's a little bit messy, and I think this is this is just cleaner to do it for everybody. But PJ Tour players, back when this proposal initially came out, perhaps borrowing from speaking points from their respective manufacturers that handsomely compensate them, they were claiming that bifurcation is a dirty word and it ruins one of the best parts of the game and that Tiger Woods has his driver and you can go to PJ Tour Superstore and get the exact same driver and you could be 40, 40 strokes worth worse with the exact same club. Newsflash, we are not playing the same equipment. Yeah. You might think you're playing the exact same equipment as Tiger Woods or Roy McIlroy or Scotty Scheffler, but I can assure you there are uh, subtle but stark differences in the in the equipment that PGA Tour players are using. I, I'm of the belief that a rollback for everyone should help make the game more sustainable. It was going in a direction where golf courses were too long, taking up too much property. It's too what much water to, water to use. I, I mean, what you look at, look at look at the home of golf. Look at the home of golf. That golf course for PGA Tour players has has been rendered obsolete. We we went to that. we went to Los Angeles Country Club this year. Quite possibly the biggest piece of property that you can ever imagine, with par fours of six hundred yards, par fives stretch almost to seven hundred yards. Like it gotten absolutely ridiculous, and so just just shrinking the footprint even marginally, I think is helpful. I think it most importantly, at least for the PGA Tour product, should help restore some of the shot value that's been lost in a game of bomb and gouge. If you have a golf ball that is spinnier and travels offline, you're not going to see guys just stand up on the tee and bash it with reckless abandon. There will be some shot value. It's not going to be spinnier. It's not going to be spinnier. It has nothing to do with the spin like that. That's not going to be impacted. And, And what you're, what you're conflating here is the idea that yes, PGA tour players hit it a really, really long way. And it's a lot of drivers and pitching wedges. And that's what the game's become. However, I would also counter with, that's entertainment. And I don't think the product's been hurt. And you could point to the home of golf. Guys are still so going to be hitting at 315. Which is great. And, and look, I, I, but I keep going we don't back stick, to we the don't stand out there with a We don't stand out there with a shot link. That we're going fans to ignore the, on property have no idea how far it's going. That we're going to ignore the fact that this is entertainment. And my point is, were you not entertained? And for you and I... The counter is no golf course I play is too short. And for you, I would say the exact same thing. The vast majority of recreational players don't have an issue hitting the golf ball too far. This is relegated to the very upper echelons of the game. So, no, I don't think we needed a blanket rule. And I would sit, I would counter and argue I'm not quite sure we even needed a rule at the highest level of the game simply because this is entertainment. And we can sit and call it whatever we want. And I understand your your desire to return shot values. And I keep going back to the idea that I don't think we need longer golf courses. I think we need better designed golf courses. Because I'll say that the 10th hole at Riviera is one of the most entertaining holes I watch all year long. And it's a 300-yard par four. And if you were to be more creative with your layouts and more creative with your architecture, I think that this would be less of a problem. I mean, that's a whole different 
argument on the golf courses that 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 the PGA Tour decides to decides to go to. The most entertaining shot at a golf course is not the driver. Everyone hits a drive that goes 300 yards. Like John Rahm, Roy McIlroy, and Scotty Scheffler stand up on the tee and they they smack driver. Everyone knows it's likely going in the fairway or slightly offline and it's going to be 330 yards. Like that's not an exciting shot anymore. Literally everyone can do it. The most exciting shots in golf are recovery shots from the rough or their clutch putts from 30 feet. That's why people are going to golf tournaments. Like no one's actually, no one actually stands on the tee just to see guys hit drivers. But it's part of the product. Like I I would agree with you. You're right. Like I'd much rather try to see a player weave one between the tree with the tournament on the line. However, it's all part of the overall product. And they do want to stand on tee boxes. Like, look, man, I was at a tournament this week. But if it's going, if it's going three twenty five or it's going three eighteen, it's it has no impact on the product. Has no impact on the entertainment value whatsoever. Every everyone does it, and everyone does it as a as a very high level now. Again, I, I'm asking, is there really a problem? I guess is what I keep coming back to, and I I just don't see a problem. Maybe in in you and I are going to disagree on this, and that's fine. I just don't see how this is a problem. And you can sit and say, well, the home of golf has been made obsolete. No, it hasn't. Like if, it, if the wind blows, like we know it should blow at St. Andrews, it's not obsolete. And you and I both know it. Uh, when it doesn't blow, guys are going to shoot well, in, the, in the 50s. And that's the way Lynx golf has always been, like since the beginning of time. I mean, the, go- the governing body should have done something two decades ago. Of, of, that, of that, there is no doubt. I don't think it's as much – a current problem, and I, I do think there's a little bit of a of a current problem when you look at the PJ Tour product. It's very monotonous, and 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 one style. This of This isn't going to change that. Is this isn't going to change others. that. This is this is looking down the road. If if athletes are getting bigger, stronger, faster, you have to do something now to potentially curb it. I have absolutely no problem with a rollback. I have no problem with a rollback at the highest level. I have no problem with a rollback for folks like you and I. Just move up a box. If you're hitting it shorter, move up a tee box. The reason why you won't do that is because of ego. If golfers can just put their ego aside and move up a box because they hit their drives 10 yards shorter, it's really not that big of a deal. And you can enjoy the game just as much, obviously. Well, and you're also glossing over the idea that distance gains are a combination of many, many different factors and they're going and the ruling bodies are going after the golf ball because it's the easiest thing to go after. It's the low hanging fruit, but you're, you're not going to keep players out of the gym. You're not going to keep oh. them from using technology to swing the ball, swing the club harder and faster. You're oh. not going to you're not going to change the way they're trained now. You're not going to change the agronomy of golf courses, which is much better now than it ever was 20 years ago. You're not going to change the size and the forgiveness of, of the club head of the driver specifically. And so it seems to me that you're only focused on one part of, let's say, a six part of equation, and that to me isn't the answer either. I mean, it's the easiest thing to fix, obviously. The governing bodies are not going to ruin players' particular ingenuity. Like Bryson DeChambeau is probably going to find a workaround somehow in order to maximize his distance gains. What he did in 2020, which was very successful for a, a two-year period in kind of maximizing his distance gains, that's still going to occur. There's still going to be guys who are speed training. And there's still going to be guys who are going to be pushing the boundaries of how far the golf ball can go. But this is at least curbing it in the future that it doesn't get out of control. That's, I think, where it comes down to. And I think 
if shot value can get restored, I think that does make PGA Tour product better. The second part of this equation, Rex, and the only thing that you love more than lawsuits and becoming Golf Channel's legal expert is memos and how much you love memos. And there are two memos that were released this week. One from the PGA Tour Policy Board updating on the progress of the investment options for the PGA Tour seemingly as a response to the speculation that more players are on the verge of jumping to live golf. And secondly, I, I think more, more hilariously, from an anonymous group of players who want a, quote, special meeting to discuss some potential inequities that they see in the new FedEx Cup system that will be unveiled in 2024 with the Signature Series and the full field events. Which of those two memos to you was the most significant? Uh, well, the second one wasn't a memo. It was just a petition. Like it was a, it was one paragraph and essentially gave you a link and you clicked on the link and you signed it or you didn't sign it. Uh, the, the fact it was unidentified, unanimous, um, that, that part I, I don't quite get. I, I think what they were going for, and this kind of goes to a story I wrote this week, that the promotions field for the Live Golf event, essentially their qualifier came out. And there was a couple of PGA Tour players in there, including Jason Duffner is the headliner. But I, I talked to Chris Stroud, and I, it's funny because I wrote a story and, and got a lot of pushback from – or got some pushback from the PGA Tour on this. And I can tell you that I asked Chris Stroud one question, and he talked for 20 uninterrupted minutes, and he clearly had something he wanted to get off his chest. And a lot of what he wanted to get off his chest is what they were trying to get across in this memo. There is a concern, and I think it's held by a lot of players, regardless – where they are. I talked to players in this field this week. So you're talking about essentially the top 20 players on the PGA tour who have concerns in going into next year and how there is an inequality between how many points are awarded at signature events versus non-signature events. And it's going to become a problem. And this was an issue nine months ago. Remember from the players championship? We did the, we did this story. Oh, I know. I, trust me. I know I did this story. And I, I don't think what they're, what they're trying to get to now is to have some sort of emergency meeting with the tour before we get to Maui. I don't see that happening. There's actually a tour reg, and I didn't know this until I kind of dug into this petition, that if you can get 25% of the membership, which I don't know what that number would be off the top of my head, uh, but if you can get 25% of the membership to sign a petition that the, the, the commissioner has to meet with you. That being said, but he has to do it within 25 days, so that kind of defeats the purpose of what they're trying to accomplish. That being said, I talked to a tour spokesman who said that the commissioner is always available to talk. I think more importantly, they'll probably meet with Jason Gore, who is sort of the liaison between the commissioner and the players. I wouldn't expect anything to change, but I think the tour will take a harder look. I thought Lonto Griffin did a really good job of explaining this a couple of weeks ago at the RSM Classic, saying that at the signature events, give them much bigger purses. That's fine. They're top 50 players. They've earned that. Give them more world ranking points. Give them events that don't have cuts. So they're guaranteed to get paid. But you've made the difference between playing in those points by FedEx Cup points. And, and I've done this stat before. I think the stat they used on the petition was probably the better one. If you finish fifth in a signature event next year versus fifth in what they're calling an open event, which is a non-signature event, the difference in FedEx Cup points is a 272% difference. You're talking about a significant amount of points being awarded, more points being awarded for signature events. All that being said, no, the, the memo from the player directors was by far more important uh, for a number of reasons. One, it came out at 9.30 on Friday night. I was in the middle of a Bye. very nice dinner. Uh, it didn't say anything. There was nothing nothing 
uh, revelatory in there. I think they kind of, you know, went over a lot of the things that had already been said. Uh, I think the commissioner sent out a memo two weeks ago after the final policy board meeting, ongoing negotiations. Uh, there's a governance review that's ongoing. Tiger, of course, touched on that last week. I, I, it, there were six bullet points and none of them were new. I, the only thing I took from it is that there were seven player directors who signed it. And I think the only message that they wanted to send is that the seven player directors, one of those is rotating off, by the way, there's only six player directors, uh, but they speak with one voice. And I think that's important to let the membership know that as we get closer and, and whatever's going to happen over the next week, a few weeks, as they get closer to some sort of agreement with whether that's Saudi Arabia's public investment fund or some other private equity, it's going to be a decision that the players make. And this is based entirely on what happened on June 6th. And Tiger Woods is clearly leading this charge that that's never going to happen again. That the commissioner, the tour is never going to make a decision of this much impact that won't involve player player input, at, at the very least player input. And when it comes to whatever the agreement's going to be, those six player directors are going to not only have to vote for it, but according to this memo, they're gonna to have to do, do it unanimously. So if you put on your tinfoil hat, uh, why would they send? Right why would they send out a memo at nine thirty on Friday night? Why could that not wait until nine a.m. on Monday? To me, it, it clearly it clearly felt like a direct response to what was rampant, uh, uncorroborated reports on social media uh, that world number three, reigning Masters <laughs> champion, uh, and presumptive PGA Tour Player of the Year, John Rahm, uh, could be joining Live Golf and a handful of other top players. To me, it's like, why else would you send that out at 9.30 on Friday? If you're putting on your tin foil hat, what did you make of the of the timing of that release, if nothing else? Uh, well, it was funny. The player, uh, the person, the player, who, who sent me the, uh, the, the petition. The person. He, he, uh, the, it was a player. I, I guess I don't know why I'm trying to hide that now since I've said it three times. The, the player that sent it to me um, called me right afterwards, and I was having a very nice dinner at the Baja Mar, so it was very disturbing. And then it, that this petition had come out. I knew it was coming out. I knew kind of the players behind it. I was just kind of waiting for it. And this player called me, and I, as he and I were talking, he got a phone call from a player director, one of the seven player directors on the policy board. And he goes, I'll call you right back. And he hangs up. And when I sit down, then my phone beeps again, and this memo from the player directors pops up. And the, that player immediately calls me back, and he goes, the player director had to get off the phone to get on a conference call with the policy board. And, like, everything coalesced in a moment. It, to, a, to a certain degree, and I don't know this for a fact, but if I put the tinfoil hat on, they were responding to the petition. They know that there is a, a large element of the rank and file, whatever, you, however you want to defend that, that doesn't like the direction of the PGA Tour. And again, this goes back to the idea that they wanted to speak in one voice. Like Tiger Woods is trying to, to get the messaging out Isn't that out so there. out of touch? Isn't it so out of touch, Rex, that the tour middle class is so disenchanted with how things are going? The tour middle class, even if you don't make the uh, first playoff event, even if you don't make the top 50 in the signature events, you are still making one to $3 million. You still have an incredible livelihood. There are many people, myself included, who believe there are, many, are too many PJ Tour members, that they should cut the number of cards from 125 to, to 100, that the, those, are, those are players who provide zero value to the PJ Tour product, at least monetarily 
from a fan engagement standpoint, whatever metric you want to use. There are many people, myself included, who think that the past champion status or any other of these other categories, that they allow these players too long to hang on when you could instead have an influx of the best players internationally, the best players uh, college and amateur, and graduate them quicker to the PGA Tour. With all of this going on, with all this fight for riches and for power and to get the best players in the world playing together more often, to have the tour middle class be so vocally opposed to how the PGA Tour is running, to, to, to me, just feels, to me, it just feels tone deaf. It, it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter what they think, to be quite frank. And, and look, I've, I've been a ranking file guy my, my whole career, but it, it was made clear to me in no uncertain terms. And I think if you look at the actions of the PGA Tour, that direction that they're going, they, they have no interest in the middle class anymore everything that the signature events and next season is going to be about is rewarding those top 50 players and making sure they're compensated and making sure they're the ones that are marketed and making sure they're the ones that get together more often and play against each other more often it, it doesn't matter what the the past champions do they may get starts they may not get starts the tour doesn't okay. care anymore don't care it, it the, the tour <laughs> simply doesn't care and i'm not even like I, i've been i've been the rank and file guy my entire life, but I, I can see the writing on the wall. Like it simply doesn't matter. And it, you're right. Like, I, I don't know. I think they see the writing as well. And this is probably what you would do in any I mean, situation just, when you feel like self, you're getting boxed this up. Is, this is self-preservation. Absolutely. Yeah. The PGA tour is and, becoming an elitist tour, right? They've always been catered to the members and in providing playing opportunities for the members. And instead it's being winnowed down into the very best tournaments with the biggest purses for the absolute best players in the world. And it's marginalized. It's marginalizing the guys who have been getting fat and happy for the past 10 years while providing very little value to the PGA tour. And they had to do it. Like, I don't even, I'm not even here to pass judgment on the PGA tour. They were faced with an existential threat and this is the way they answered. And I'm, I don't even think it's wrong. Like you had to come up with some way to make sure those players, whoever they are, whoever you identify as the top 50 are taken care of and they feel like they're valued and they're compensated in a way that doesn't make whatever the offer might look like from the other side look attractive. Rex, we may have to do an emergency podcast the week of December 4th. That is to be determined, but I believe you are scheduled to be home this week, which is great news. Because you can fire up the grills once more. What do you have on the grill coming up this week after you return home from the Bahamas? I don't know. It's been a tough week, man. This I know. is usually an easy week. This what is do you a want? hard week, man. I'm not gonna this, lie to you. Have, have it have it have it be your therapy. What do you what do you what do you what do you want? I, I, I need to get home tomorrow and, and I need to make it through. I got a three hour layover in Miami Airport with myself and Todd Lewis. And as you pointed out, it seems to me we probably need to stay on our toes. Or anything that may or may not happen. And then once I get home, yeah, I'm sure. It's been a long time since I broke out the Blackstone. So I'm, I'm probably going to dig in on that. It's, I, probably some stir fry sounds good to write about now. I don't want anything to happen on Monday. It's the Jags' first Monday night football game sure. in about a dozen years. They're playing the Bengals, a matchup that would have looked really great three weeks ago when Joe Burrow was still healthy. He could have been slinging it all over the yard to Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and said, we'll be subjected to three and a half hours of Jake Browning. I will, I will, be, I will be bringing my laptop uh, to the tailgating scene uh, just in case 
we do get any sort of news. Thanks for asking about what we're going to be doing for the tailgate. Uh, as soon as I hang out for this podcast, I'm going to be throwing a pork butt on the Yoder pellet smoker. I'm going to be doing an overnight pork butt. By the time I wake up in the morning, I'm hoping the pork butt is somewhere around 150 degrees. Wrap that up and get that probe tender. By the time the lunch hour hits, hold it until we actually leave for the tailgate. And tomorrow morning, after I drop the kids off at daycare, I'm going to fire up the workhorse offset. Uh, I have a chuck roast. I will be smoking that low and slow, heavy smoke for the first hour, and then doing pulled beef sandwiches as well to go. Pulled with beef? Wow. Pulled beef. Uh, absolutely delicious. A little bit of uh, beef broth to keep it juicy uh, to go with the tangy sauce that we have for the pulled pork sandwiches. How the rest of the week goes is to be determined. Uh, You're drowning all... your sorrow. You're drowning yeah. in Georgia sorrow and pulled pork and pulled beef. Yeah. It's just a it's just a sad state of affairs. Golf wise, have the Grant Thornton mixed team event. That's something to watch on the weekend, certainly, but make sure you go to NBCSports.com slash golf to stay up to date with all the news notes. No reckless speculation though, Rex. You will not find reckless speculate speculation not here. on NBCSports.com slash golf. If there is any news that comes out the week of December fourth, we will emergency pot it. And you can find that on the website as well. But thank you guys for listening to this edition of Golf Channel Podcast with Rex and Lav. If you want some more Tiger news, make sure you go to nbcsports.com slash golf. Read all of Rex's stuff from the Bahamas. We'll be back next week for a full recap of the week that was. That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. That, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.